Well, I think people have to understand, like, Spanish people speak Spanish, but they are not, like, Latin American people. I think people need to understand that. I think people come to Spain, they're like, where's the flavor? I'm like, no, these are white people. <laughs> exactly. They speak Spanish. That's it. And then being black is always interesting because they're just very confused. Depending on where you are in Spain, they're just like, what, where are you from? And when I say the United States, like, no, but where are you really from? Mm. And I'm like, well, you know, esclavitude. So I always say, like, you know, slavery? And they're like, oh, wait, we don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, all right, because we're going to talk. I'll go speak to you in Spanish about it. But they don't want to talk about it. So, And they're like, oh, like, oh, America? Oh, then the, like, the red carpet gets rolled out and you get to do all, you know. And I'm like, no, keep that same energy. Keep that same energy because, you know... Right? Because I'm just negra, right? That's what it is. So keep it. Hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Christine as the guest. I'm also excited because it's Black History Month. So happy Black History Month to you all. I don't have any announcements or anything extra to share this time, so we're going to get right to it. And I'm going to tell you about Christine. So Christine is an entrepreneur and a business strategist and consultant originally from Georgia, but she is currently based in Barcelona. She's actually been living in Spain for a number of years now. And Christine actually started traveling at a very young age, and that impacted her so much that as a teenager, she decided that she wanted to move abroad at some point. And so then in college, she got to study in Valencia, Spain for a semester. And that was a great experience in many ways, but also left some things to be desired, which you will hear her explain. And after that, after she graduated from college and tried different things, went to law school, got started in business consulting, she was inspired to walk a 500 mile trail across Spain. That's another really interesting story that she tells. (laughs) And At the end of that trail, which took her like a month to do, she felt very strongly that it was time to move to Spain. So she, so she moved to Spain. (laughs) Um, At first as a teacher, and then she was able to transition into doing her own thing, as well as find the city that she wanted to live in, which ended up being Barcelona. So we talked a lot about Christine's history with travel and her connection to Spain, visiting there, studying there, now living there. And she also just had a lot of interesting stories and general insight to share about expat life, especially as it concerns black women because Christine is a black woman and she also has a podcast called Flourish in the Foreign where she interviews and celebrates all kinds of black women expats like herself. So just a lot of food for thought in this episode. And I hope you learned something from it like I did. 
So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Christine Job. Thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast and um, for making the time. I know it's really late for you right now. No, thank you so much for just being receptive to having me on. Um, and I'm just really excited because I really enjoy your podcast. I think what you're doing is so, so needed because when I was studying abroad, there was nothing <laughs> like this at all. So I think it's so, so important to just have that representation and really create, you know, an amazing kind of resource bank for students now who are thinking about going abroad and they want to know what could they, what can they expect? Oh, well, thanks, Christine. I really appreciate that. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I'm um, happy to have you on as well, because I know you're doing a lot of really important work with your show as well, which I'm, I'm sure I'll ask you about uh, at some point in our conversation. So why don't we go ahead and get started with you introducing yourself a bit, if, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I'm Christine Job. I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Unless you're from Atlanta, because I always say that because Atlanta is such a huge metropolis. And so I'm from Suwannee, Georgia, the and the suburbs, but most people don't know what that is. So I'm from <laughs> Atlanta. And I was basically, I, ra- I was raised in Georgia, um, and I attended the University of Georgia, which was where I had the amazing experience to study abroad. Yeah. So you studied abroad, but I think, because I listened to the, the episode you sent me, you know, way back. And um, if I'm not mistaken, like, traveling internationally started, or just traveling period started when you were younger, right? Especially with visiting your dad and whatnot. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I started to travel solo when I was about four years old domestically because my parents were both in the military. They were divorced and I was getting ships between Texas and California. And then when they were stationed in the U.S. again, um, the ship between them. So I started traveling by myself. Um, at a very, very young age. And then my dad got stationed in Germany when I was 10. And Mm. so I got my passport when I was 10. And I started to internationally solo travel, at least to, to, you know, the air to the airport gate and where he would pick me up. Mm -hmm. And I started getting exposed to just international life that way. Um, And that was really formative for me. Even though, you know, my, my father and his parents are all from Trinidad, so I have that kind of immigrant past as well. But I honestly first started when I was 10 just going to Europe, and I would see my dad every summer and for, you know, Christmas and things like that. He ended up taking me to Paris for my birthday, which was really exciting um, because it was my 13th birthday and it was like 2002. So I'm dating myself, but it was like, you know, Y2K. Oh, yeah. So it was all of these amazing experiences of just being young and being like, this is normal Um, and being in spaces that I couldn't speak the language, but it was like, it was okay because I knew some phrases and I could work it out. 
And it really changed the game. You know, I, I just started thinking of how, you know, when I look up in the sky and I saw clouds and the moon or the <laughs> you know sun, I was like someone in Germany is looking at the same thing or has seen this, you know, during this day. And for me, that just, that changed something inside of me. And so by the time I was 17, I knew for sure I wanted to live abroad because I already had that example of my dad. My dad lived abroad for, I think, four years with the military, or maybe even more. And I knew that there was just more to life. And so when I went to university, I knew I was going to study abroad. I I came, I, w- I was raised in a pretty, you know, semi-affluent neighborhood in the suburbs of Atlanta. But I mean, I was one of my only friends that was like, I'm going to study abroad. Everyone else was like, what? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know, and UGA, University of Georgia is a very good institution. It's a top, you know, 20 research institution. But also it is known for, you know, heavy college partying culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the things that, you know, American films are made of, like what everyone who's outside of America thinks of the college experience in America. That's exactly what UGA is like. And so my friends were just, they were like, let's just go to football games and, you know, do that and party and, you know, get an education too. But like, that was it. And Mm -hmm. I knew that I wanted to study abroad. I knew that I was going to make it happen. And I didn't really have any like on-campus encouragement. There was no outreach at, that I knew of specifically for black and brown students at the time. Mm. Um, I had to tell my academic advisor I was studying abroad and she was like, well, we'll think about it. And I was like, I'm going to huh? study abroad. Like, <laughs> you know, this is me being like 18, 19, Capricorn type A. I'm like, I know my own mind and I'm only in this appointment because I have to. So you will release me to, you know, pick up my classes for the next semester. I'm not really having a conversation with you. Yeah. I'm not really, I'm not really seeking your advice. I've already looked through the entire catalog. I know what I want to do. <laughs> so, um, I didn't have anyone like champ, like champion me, right? Mm-hmm. I, we had study abroad fairs and I, oh my goodness, I would go to every single study abroad fair. They would be on campus and they'd be hosting these huge ballrooms. And, you know, this was like, I guess, pre-eco-friendly times because every, every single table in the ballroom, every single program would have these amazing, like, thick and glossy brochures of their programs. Hmm. And, you know, in college, they give you everything free. They give you free t-shirts, free pizza, free yeah. everything. <laughs> so I, you know, got the free tote and I just would go to every single table and I would just be like, yup, I want to go to Tanzania. Yup. I want to go to Costa Rica. Yup. Poland. Okay, sure. Like every single place for me was a possibility. Every single place seemed fascinating and like I wanted to go. And so I would, you know, lug this like five pound bag back to my dorm and I would just spread out all these brochures on my floor and I would just just be mesmerized. I would just look at every single program and be like, I'm not an anthropology major, but I really want to go. Like, (laughs) I want to do this. I want to do that. 
I just remember the feeling and the feeling was a possibility. Yeah. And I think that's so precious because I know that for some students, they don't have that kind of experience in university, either someone championing them or someone discouraging them or actively trying to like obstruct them. And I just had this feeling of wonderment and possibility and nobody could stop me ever. Like it wasn't ever going to happen. Um, but then I got a little bit more reasonable and decided I needed to study abroad within my major. Like I needed to make it make sense. And so I picked a program with the University of Georgia called UGA in España. They have programs actually throughout Spain. I believe they had one at the time in Salamanca, in Granada, in Valencia. Hmm. And I chose the one in Valencia because it really fit my major. I was a business major and they had an international business course. I was also a Spanish minor and they were offering business Spanish and Latin American um, literature, which would actually help me complete my minor. And so I calmed down. I was super excited. Then I calmed down. I was reasonable about it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Valencia And that's what I want to do. Hmm. Wow. Okay. As you had mentioned, you'd been to Europe previously, other countries in Europe previously. How did you land on Spanish? Like, why was Spain or the Spanish language, why was that of interest to you? Well, I studied Spanish. Honestly, I've actually started, I started studying Spanish when I was three years old Hmm. because I went to a, I don't even know what it would be called now, but I get maybe like a charter preschool back when me and my mom lived in Nevada. Like I started learning Spanish really young. Mm, okay. And so I actually had like this really interesting basis for Spanish because, you know, when you're young, you just absorb everything, mm-hmm. um, which has <laughs> been my saving grace because, you know, it didn't stick all the way, but there's some things that like I can hold on to. I just know. Mm-hmm. So Throughout elementary school and middle school and high school in the state of Georgia, there is some kind of language component. In elementary school and middle school, it's not very robust. But in high school, you can really, I think, take it a little bit more seriously and really kind of be more immersed. And so that's what I did when I was in high school. I really was trying to, I don't know if I was trying to become fluent or proficient, but I just felt like this was something I needed to do and take seriously. Mm. And then when I graduated from high school, um, my mother, who is so nice and so generous as she's listening, um, (laughs) gifted me with a trip to Spain, Mm. like an educational trip to Spain that was actually kind of through my high school as well. So I got to go to Spain and go all around Spain. I mean, Toledo, Madrid, Barcelona, Valencia. I think we went to Malaga, like all the major places, Cadiz, like all the places. And after that, I was like, okay, I see how speaking Spanish is really applicable in real life because I'm here in Spain and I'm speaking Spanish. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And so I kind of took that with me. When I went to college, I was like, I'm going to continue with my Spanish. I think it's really important to speak another language. But I didn't actually have like real life, like applicability for it yet. Like I just was like, this is a good idea to do and to have. Um, And so I just wanted to continue with Spanish. 
And then the program just made sense because I had a minor and then international business, which was something I was really interested in. Mm-hmm. I've always been interested in international affairs and history. And so I always thought, okay, this could be something fascinating for me and to really, you know, live in Spain would be, you know, so romantic and amazing. <laughs> you know, my, my two week trip was fantastic. So living there has to be, you know, crazy amazing. So, yeah. Mm. Okay. Did you find it to be crazy amazing as you were hoping? Oh my goodness. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I really didn't. Oh my goodness. But you know, I think it was probably... When I think about my ideals of what I thought college was going to be mm-hmm. and what it, what it ended up being for me, I think I was just a very, like, I was a nerd and I romanticized everything about college and things like that. Mm. You know, I thought college was going to be like everyone's wearing black and wearing like berets and, be top, and speaking like in sophisticated tones and things. <laughs> And I went to University of Georgia in Athens. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and so when I when I went to Spain, I thought it was going to be I I'm not even sure exactly. I thought it was gonna be more sophisticated for sure. I thought it was gonna be like full of flavor and life and all these things. And I thought also that it was going to be just a, a really like robust learning environment, not just in school, but like the cohort would be also people who really wanted to learn and experience the culture. And that really wasn't the case for me. So I I get to Valencia and we are all, we're all paired off into our roommate assignments. And I actually had a very lovely roommate Mm -hmm. um, during the time, but it quickly became clear to me that my cohort, a, like a great majority of them, were using study abroad as, you know, kind of like a blow-off semester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that happens and a lot. <laughs> I, and I guess I was super naive. I, it never occurred to me that I would go abroad to not go to class and to party and to, like, be obnoxious and disrespectful because for me... Um, going abroad was actually quite a financial lift for, for me and my family mm. because at the time we were doing well and then the economy started taking a turn. At one point, both of my parents, my mother and my stepfather, were laid off unexpectedly. Like a lot of things changed right before I went to university. Mm-hmm. And so for me to go to, to Spain, when I knew it was a financial lift, that I knew that FAFSA wasn't covering everything, I was very excited and I took it very seriously as I had been raised to do anything. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, if my mother was like, you know, I bought these basketball shoes, so you're going to play basketball for at least this entire season. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just that kind of thing. And so to be around people who are obviously very affluent and their parents could obviously pay for this very easily. So they're just going to keep on acting how they're going to act. 
was very, very disturbing for me. I just have, I have to be honest. I was just shocked. Mm. And I also have to mention that I was the only black student. And I believe I was the only student of color in this entire cohort. Oh my goodness. So that may, that may sound like a, not unusual. You know, I went to PWI, but for me, it, it was still kind of shocking because I was like, nobody else wants to study abroad or what's, what's happening. It was just me. And so being in a cohort where people are coming to class drunk or coming mm-hmm. to class with like their mouths stained purple and red from the night before. Oh, and now, wow. you know, as an adult, I'm like, how much red wine can you drink that would stay in your mouth <laughs> and then you don't brush your teeth? Like as an adult, now you're just like, that doesn't even make any sense. It just <laughs> is bizarre behavior. But people thought it was like funny and cool. Um, and I was just, I, it really opened my eyes to American privilege and how Americans really see, not all, but you know, how privileged Americans really see education and how, and I think it's a testament to how we even do college, right? A lot of these colleges, the reason why they're so expensive is that they they pour in so much money into the activities and like Mm. the gyms and all this other stuff. And it's like really just there to learn. And because it's this like fun house of like American college experience (laughs) that people forget why they're there and Mm. they take that attitude abroad. And so, you know, we're, we're at the Universidad de Valencia. And it's just like, it looks like an office building. It doesn't have any like fun things, you know, at the University of Georgia, our, our entire gym, you know, wellness rec center is like bigger than the university, the Universidad de Valencia's campus. Like oh, it's wow. just bigger. It has like, we have a rock, rock climbing wall. We have like Olympic size swimming pools. We have like all this stuff. So it's like this very interesting kind of, dichotomy right like this different this juxtaposition juxtaposition of of ideals and ways of being Mm -hmm. and so and also i feel like americans in general we're not we don't hold our professors in the highest esteem Mm -hmm. like we like to say things are like devil's advocate but really i think sometimes it's just a way to just be you know snarky or disrespectful Mm -hmm. and to have that happen in front of me, you know, with our professors in Spain, it was cringeworthy, you know, especially because one of our professors was Cuban and he was teaching us Latin American um, uh, literature. And so it was hard for us to understand his accent because a lot of us have been trained on a Spanish from Spain kind of accent, mm. Castilian Spanish, yeah. or we had teachers who were speaking Spanish as a second language. So it was obviously very Americanized. But having, you know, people who were just disrespectful to this man of color in front of me was like, this mm. is not, this is not okay. And so That's a shame. it was tough. It was tough. And also, you know, this was 2007 in, in Valencia. And there wasn't like that many black people, I think, <laughs> in Valencia at the time mm. or at the university. So me stepping into the university, people were like, literally, if you could imagine like a movie where everyone like everyone in the hallways like stops, is silent and like turns. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <And you're> like, <laughs> it's me. It's 
Christine, you know? <laughs> and they're just like, wow, you are black. And it's like, oh my yes. goodness. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, and so I feel like it was, it wasn't what I romanticized, but it, it didn't deter me from wanting to obviously eventually move to Spain and live to live in Spain or seek out more international and cross-cultural experiences because for me, it let me know where I stood. You know, I think that I understood that one, anti-blackness is global, mm-hmm. that there is a lot of misinformation, that stereotypes are global, especially with the mass consumption of American media. Mm. Like these things are going to be global. Now, uh, people's prejudices or systemic racism and things like that are sometimes not going to be, they're not going to exist or they're going to be different or not as deeply, you know, seated as in America. But Mm -hmm. these are some things that I was going to have to just say, okay. And then also realize that, you know, when I'm abroad, I may not want to hang out with a lot of Americans. Mm. Um, who never really, you know, have this kind of experience and you don't appreciate it. But it was, it was a tough, tough experience for me. Um, I, it was one of the only times I can really remember where I was homesick because I mean, I had been traveling by myself for so long and being shuttled between grandparents and aunties and going to my dad's house and whatever for so long that Honestly, as a kid, I never was really homesick. Wow. You know, and but when I was in Valencia that semester, I was homesick. You know, I had a sweet boyfriend at the time who would send me all these care packages and he would stay up and try to talk to me on Skype. That's precious. You know what I mean? He's such a sweetheart. And I wasn't having like the greatest time. And that was difficult for him because he was like, well, you could have just stayed home. Oh, well, excuse me. I'm trying to have this experience, you know, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do something here, but, Mm -hmm. um, it, it wasn't the most fantastic, but I think that's important for people to hear too, is that it doesn't have to be everything in the world for you to get so much from it. And uh, it shouldn't deter you from doing what you want to do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I just have to say, you're definitely not alone in terms of, like, when you're talking about expecting college to be a certain way. I, too, thought when I went to, <laughs> when I went to undergrad that everybody was going to be sophisticated and super, like, serious about their studies and everything. Um, <laughs> and, and you realize that wasn't the case. Uh, <laughs> And before, and you mentioned it, so I didn't even have to suggest it, but I definitely think it's a cultural thing, you know, uh, part of you being black or also, like you said, um, having an immigrant background where you don't, you don't go to school to like mess around, especially if it's something that's being paid for. So no, that was just really relatable. I was listening to you (laughs) explain that and that was really relatable to me. Um, (laughs) Can you um, describe what Valencia is like as as you experience it? Like what type of place is is Valencia? Yeah, so Valencia is the third largest city in Spain behind Madrid Mm -hmm. and Barcelona. 
it's in its own comunidad, and a comunidad is basically like a state. Mm-hmm. So it's in within the state of Valencia is also Valencia, the city. And there's 17 comunidades in Spain. So there's 17 different kinds of states within the country. And it's actually, it's on the Mediterranean coast. So it's in, it's more southern than Barcelona, and it's on the Mediterranean coast. It is also, it shares um, this kind of roots in Catalan culture, which is what Barcelona is also known for in this region of Catalonia. They have their own kind of dialect, which is called Valenciano, which was also something that was like shocking to me. I was like, wait. Y'all don't just speak Spanish. You speak something else too. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. Um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Um, it is just gorgeous. It has this beautiful old town that, I mean, is obviously centuries, centuries old. And running throughout the, the city is a dried, uh, dried up riverbed. So it's called a rio, even though it is no longer a river. Mm. And what they have done is they've really utilized that dried up riverbed and they've created like parks and that's where the aquarium is and that's where they have festivals and it's like a long running trail and hiking trail and it can, and kind of, it kind of goes almost all the way to the beach basically. Mm. Um, and so it's really a lovely, lovely city. It's definitely walkable, but it has, you know, public transportation and metros and things like that. It has, you know, a lively uh, night life for sure, at least for, for college students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I actually recently went back to Valencia, I think about two years ago in amazing amazing restaurants and honestly it's just really well connected it's a really good city i think to live in um you can always catch the train and go north up to barcelona or south you know into andalusia or anywhere else you want to go or you know to madrid so it's it's a very i think mediterranean laid back kind of Spanish city way more than I would say Barcelona. Everyone's like, Barcelona's so laid back. And I'm like, mm, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I used to live in Miami too. So I'm like, no, not, not really. <laughs> Doesn't compare. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It has so much of its own culture and, and history. And I think that's what's so amazing about Spain because Spain really is, a nation of kingdoms. <laughs> mm. There are so many very distinct, not only just comunidades, but regions with their own flags, their own food, their own you know dialects. They just have their own way. And people are really fiercely, very fiercely, whatever they are. So not only would someone be very like fiercely Andalus, like from Andalusia, mm. but then they would be either like, very fiercely, you know, um, either from Sevilla or from Malaga or Cavies, like very fiercely that. And then within like the community like Andalusia, they would speak Spanish very differently. Like mm. you, they would have very distinct accents. And so the same thing happens in Valencia. Valencia is also known for one, having like the best pyrotechnics in the entire world. So probably most of like the most amazing fireworks probably have someone 
like who's from Valencia, Spain, attached to it, either the, the um, company or either, either the people who are actually doing it, hmm. because they have been in pyrotechnics for centuries. They have this <laughs> very, very old festival that happens in March called Las Fallas. And so it's they're celebrating their, I think it's a patron saint of the city, which I think is Saint Joseph um, or someone. And it's just a huge celebration all around fire. And it sounds as scary as you think it is. <laughs> like, it really is, at least for me. So a part of it is like the people are creating these beautiful fires, which are these beautiful monuments, these like art sculptures, I think made up maybe out of paper mache or just wood. And so they make these like figurines or these, um, scenery and usually it's out of like pop culture or history and so the entire city becomes like a walking art exhibit and so it becomes really beautiful so you see all of these amazing monuments and things like that and as we're leading up to like the big you know festival day what happens is that people will start igniting fireworks in the daytime at Mm. nighttime all the time (laughs) and so for me I was like what is going on? It's daylight. Why am I hearing all this popping and craziness? Yeah. Um, and it only becomes more and more intense um, until you get to the final night in which all of these monuments that you've been seeing, all this artwork, they are all torched. They're all put in this huge like fire. And it's, it seems very dangerous. Like mm. I've been to a couple and I was like, this seems very dangerous. <laughs> Um, like, if this could go out of, you know, out of control at any moment. Right. But, like, that's what they're known for. So they're very good at, you know, the fire control. And while some while this, you know, big pile of all this amazing artwork is ablaze, then they have fireworks. It's just all this stuff. And so it's incredible because I don't, I'm not sure there's anything else like it in the world. Mm. And I think either you love it or you hate it. For me, it was just a lot. It was a <laughs> it was a lot, and also during Las Vegas was also St. Patrick's Day, and so it just became a very intense time to be a college student. Mm-hmm. You know, we actually had some Irish students in our university, and they were and their parents came down, and I remember they took us out to a bar, and they were like, it was like ten a.m., and I was like. What? What are we doing? They're like, let's go. And they were like, their parents were like buying us pints of Guinness while like there's like these fireworks going on in the street. For me, obviously I'm not as cool as everyone else, but for me, I was just like, this is too much for me. Like I can't be drinking at 10 a.m. and have fireworks going on. Like I need some. Oh kind yeah, of that safety. is a lot. <laughs> so, but it was, you know, some people love that and, you know, love that chaos. And so Valencia, I think, is just a very, very special place. Very, very beautiful. Yeah, it sounds special. You're, you're really teaching me something today because I, I mean, I don't think about pyrotechnics very much, but I certainly would, wouldn't think of, you know, a Spanish city that specializes in pyrotechnics. I would never have put that together. So I, I've already learned something new and interesting today, thanks to you. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, so um, so uh, as you said, you were you know going there, and you were really serious about your studies. It sounds like you were in class like 
most of the day? Is that what your schedule was like during the week? Yeah, well, most... Well, this is also something that was, I think, <laughs> so strange for me coming from, you know, America where, mm. you know, the era of, you know, helicopter parents or tiger moms, it, like, just basically being scheduled all the time. Mm. Like, this was very difficult for me. Basically, you know, getting up, you know, getting dressed for school. The Spanish don't really do breakfast like that. So our cafeteria in our dorm building didn't really open. So we would have like this, uh, like bar that we could get a coffee and a croissant and like that was breakfast and be on your way. Mm-hmm. So we would have class, um, we'd have our, uh, Spanish courses, business Spanish, Latin American literature in the morning, come back to campus or come back to our dorm and have uh, lunch. And because it's Valencia, where paella is originated from, so we have a lot of paella, mm. a lot of a lot of like the local delicacies, like a lot of rabbit. Uh, I'm vegan now, but I wasn't at the time. But like ate a lot of rabbit, <laughs> a lot of things where we were like you know, asking, like, what is this? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, conejo. And you're like, wait, what? Rabbits? <laughs> and they're like, yes, rabbit. They, like, bounce around. They're like, what do you, you know? Like, the, just imagine, like, cafeteria ladies, like, having to, like, bounce around. They're like, yes, rabbit ears. <laughs> like, you know? So, like, what do you mean? Of course we're eating rabbit. What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, so we're like, well, I guess it's good. Um, and so... You know, having lunch and then having, you know, Spanish siesta, which is really a thing. And mm. um, and that was strange because you'd be like, okay, I have this break. I have lunch. I could do homework. I can hang out. But there's nowhere, you know, at the time, a lot of things weren't open. I think now I think the Spanish are starting to, like, get away from siesta. But at that time, I was like, if you wanted to do, you know, some errands or you just want to do, oh, I just want to pop over and do something. It's like, no, it's siesta. Everything's closed. <laughs> and the thing about Spain in general, and I will like die on this hill because I think it is a good generality with Spain, is that there's no hard and fast rules for opening and closing. There just mm. isn't. Like across, even here in Barcelona, to I used to live in La Rioja, which is in the northern part of Spain. There's no hard and fast rules. Somebody say, okay, well, yes, we'll start at uh, 2, 2.30. They'll close, maybe, whatever. You, If you roll up at 1 and they're closed, they're just closed because they felt like it. You know, <laughs> if they're supposed to be open by 5 or 6 and they don't ever open for the rest of the day, that's just what it is. Like, mm. sometimes they'll put up a, a piece of, like, notebook paper and say, okay, we're closed for rest. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, when is this over? Are you wow. going to be back tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> that was really hard that was really something that i remember you know being 21 and being like what do you mean you're supposed to be open you're not open and having to really understand you know i'm not in the united states and the way that we live life in the united states is not the only way to live life Mm -hmm. and to also surrender to an experience right (laughs) being upset about it doesn't is going to make them open (laughs) You know, having an attitude with them doesn't, they're just like, okay, whatever. Are you going to buy it or not? You know, so it doesn't change anything. Right. And I think it was really, it was really helpful for me. 
to really to realize that you know you can choose a different kind of way of life and people can either rock with it or not and so that was a good learning lesson for me and so you know try to have a siesta okay maybe not in the afternoons we would have international business course because then that would work out for eastern standard time hmm. and that was and that was actually online which is interesting. Now that I think about it, I was like, we were having this fully online course. Um, our professor did come to visit us for like a week or two, um, I think for like our like a project or something. But it was actually a fully like online course. Wow. Um, okay. That we did. We had uh, to submit documents and stuff like that. And then we often have a lot of excursions either with our. Um, Latin American literature teacher who would take us to different museums and showcase, you know, some artwork that was inspired by, um, you know, one of the writers we had been, you know, reading about or something like that. And we would have to like start putting it together and be like, this is what we read. This is the artistic, you know, interpretation. Do you Mm. understand? (laughs) And um, yeah. And, And so that was what, you know, the day usually looked like but also because college always <laughs> you know some element of partying for sure but you know in spain partying starts very very late very very late mm. um you know spaniards don't usually eat dinner and i'll say specifically like in the summertime but kind of all over they don't really speak they don't really eat um dinner until around 10 p.m so that gives you a, a time mm. of like when you're even getting ready to like get out to go out and go and do that. So learning wow. how to get down with you know Spanish students was was tough <laughs> for some of the most experienced partiers in the cohort, and and you know learning you know different kinds of cultural differences and drinks, right? So calimocho is a thing here, which is red wine and coca-cola and oh. um it's it's horrible it does, oh is it, it? <laughs> yeah, it is. because think about it you're getting coca-cola and you're getting like box wine because oh. you're a college student even if it was good wine it's still gross in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> but you're getting like the you know the gross you know bottom of the barrel wine which mm-hmm. in spain is pretty hard to do because usually all wine is pretty decent so, you know, we're getting like the bottom of the barrel wine because it's cheaper and we can get like jugs of it. And you mix it with Coca-Cola and that's supposed to be your pre-game drink, right? Mm. Go out and party or whatever <laughs> and then come home and eat some, you know, some, what is it called? Gyros or gyros, whatever. I think, yeah, gyros. Um and what now I'm thinking like it had to be mystery meat because it was like very strange <laughs> because it was like great. Oh no! It's the only things like when you're a constant, you'd be like, oh yeah, I can eat this. I'm hungry, I, and I definitely want this mystery meat thing. Oh, that's what goodness. I really want. <laughs> um, but it'll, you know, that was that was the that was the lifestyle basically of you know going to class have some excursions, sometimes parties. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, what was interesting because I was there for about, what, I guess six months. But really stri- trying to, to create like a life for yourself. Because at some point you're like, I don't want to hang out with these people anymore. At least I was. I was like, I don't want to hang out with these people anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to do something else. 
at the time I tried to find like a church. I tried to like just find other things I was interested in and try to assimilate or at least see what that would be like living in Valencia. And, and that was interesting too, you know, trying to find if you want to find like a, an expat community to tap into as a student abroad, or if you just want to just go completely local and see what will happen. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about something you said about Spain or Spanish people gradually moving away from siesta. Do you know why that is? Well, um, I think it's part of the pressure of being, you know, in the European Union. <laughs> I think, I think it's also some of the pressure of of trying to be very productive because, you know, here in Spain, the workday is actually quite long. Mm. Uh, people will come into work at nine, but like I said, they don't really have breakfast, so they usually stop at like 10 or 11 and they'll go and have like a coffee and like maybe some breakfast or something mm-hmm. and they'll come back and they'll work for like two more hours and then they'll have lunch and though they don't have siesta oftentimes people have to pick up their kids who will stop having courses at like two or three and they need to be either taken home and given lunch and return back to school or they need to go and have after school care so they'll have to like stop and go do that and then come back to work and then work until like seven and there's also like this culture of which people just feel like they have to be at work as long as everyone else Mm. even though they're just not productive this is not like the spanish they're just not productive like that like they're just not efficient they're not really getting a lot of things done Mm. and so i think that in response to you know, some of the economic crises that they've had in like 2007 and one that's currently unfolding right now, they're feeling the pressure to change some of their cultural norms. Hmm. And I don't know if it's necessarily, um, it's not this yesta's fault. I think it's more <laughs> about the mentality of work here. Yeah. And because they, um, they don't live to work. They just don't. Right. And, you know, work to live, I think is even like a little bit of a stretch, but it's just not, it's just not the culture. And so I think they probably could be, in theory, they could be way, they could be efficient and still have a siesta, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to slowly try to become more and more, I guess, quote unquote, Western, even though they're, they are Western European, but they're very Southern and they're very Mediterranean, mm. this distinction. So I think, I think that's what will probably happen. It'll be very interesting how that happens because their, their family life is kind of revolved around this kind of siesta. How school is set up is revolved around the siesta and that time period off in the middle of the day. And, you know, it was, it was a really good invention because especially in the summertime in some parts of Spain, it is incredibly hot. You really cannot be outside, you know, mm. in Sevilla. Like, the nickname for Sevilla is like, they, they call it the pan, like the, the sartan. So it's like the, the like skillet. Like, <laughs> because it's that, it's that hot. Right. You know? So it's like, you really shouldn't be outside. You really should be inside, probably sleeping. Mm. Um, but we'll see how it goes. But yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the, 
downside, I guess, of globalization, where people feel like they really have to start conforming because there's outside pressures and things like that. Yeah. Wow, that's so fascinating. Because I'd heard of Siesta and, like, that's kind of, I guess, one of the things that endears people to Spain is the work culture and not being so... Not letting work like run your life basically, and taking time to rest and all that. So it's interesting to to know that that is kind of changing. I never would have expected that. Well, wow. yeah, yeah. So you mentioned you know being in Valencia, and since you were there for a semester, six months, that you know at some point you went about trying to create a life for yourself. You know, find your own. I guess, people and, and establish your own routines and things like that. But I'm wondering, you know, did you venture to any other places in Spain while you were studying abroad? Yeah. So um, we did some excursions to Barcelona and some other places around Spain. But one of the most memorable places I went was to Lanzarote, which is an island in the Canary Islands. Mm. And that was fantastic. The Canary Islands is interesting because it is so far away from Spain that you would be like, oh, yeah, the Canary Islands. Yeah. And the funny thing is that a lot of Spanish people forget about the Canary Islands, too. Mm. And the Canary Islands, like, they're like, we don't really feel very Spanish. It's a different kind of feeling. So they're very... They're so far away from the mainland and because of historical ties between the Canary Islands and like Latin America, specifically Venezuela, there's like just a different vibe there. And obviously Africa, um, it's a different vibe. It, it definitely doesn't feel, I mean, it's hard to say anything feels Spanish because Spain is quite diverse, mm-hmm. and different kinds of uh, regions, but it definitely doesn't feel like Spanish like no 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 yeah (laughs) it's different and so um I went to Lanzarote it's very very beautiful it's um rocky and has volcanoes (laughs) and I'm not sure if they're active but Mm. they have them there and had such a wonderful wonderful time almost uh fell off a a four-wheeler oh no probably my probably not I don't know if to my death but to something horrible happening really I had no business being on the four-wheeler <laughs> this is the thing about being in like certain places that are for like tourists and like vacationing they just let you do any kind of thing mm. you really shouldn't do and I, I would love to say that was like my only time where I've almost killed myself on a four-wheeler but it's not actually it was the first time <laughs> I like, continued getting on them and was like oh I shouldn't be on these because I don't know what I'm Um, so the canary islands was just just beautiful so completely different um and so lovely i could definitely see how people can retire there and i think that was the first time i experienced you know like the british expat the british retired expat kind of enclave and Mm. you're like what are all these brits here or germans you're like what is this Mm. and i was I was naive, and it was like, oh, this is a thing, especially in Spain. Okay. Interesting. You mentioned previously being, like, a type A type person. I guess from an academic standpoint, you know, in terms of, like you said, making things make sense and making sure what you were studying connected to your major and fulfilled 
requirements and the knowledge you were seeking to gain from that time. Do you feel like your classes were sufficient in that regard, that you got what you wanted out of it from an, like an academic standpoint? Um, hmm. No. Oh. If I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, for, I think as a college student, I'm like, all right, you know, I got my A's. This is great. But I think now, in hindsight, when, especially when I think as an adult, you're just like, it's not really about the grades. It's really about acquiring knowledge and right. skills. And like, can I do this? And do I feel comfortable? I feel like I could, I, it could have been more robust. And perhaps, perhaps I just needed to be in a different program. And perhaps mm-hmm. I needed to be in a true exchange, not with a cohort. Like, I think that might be kind of a downfall when a university has its own program hmm. at a different school that it's still, it's still like the name, it's UGA in España. And I think I probably needed to just be in España. Like, I just need to be in Spain yeah. and be a student. And have, you know, that kind of experience for it to be the best for me. Um, not only academically, but even just culturally, like mm. to really be immersed. So, no, I, I think it could have been better, but I think it, it was as good as it was going to get with that kind of program. You I know, see. It, I think it's a product of what we discussed before. You know, American schools are very much about the bells and whistles and the experience, but not like skills. Mm. <laughs> At least this is how it was when I graduated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we went on a lot of excursions and we did kava tastings and we went to caves and we did all this stuff. You know, we were always on the bus on the weekends going somewhere and doing something. And that's cool, right? I mean, that's why it probably cost so much to do all this stuff and mm-hmm. stay in this beautiful, you know, old building as our dorm in the center of Valencia. Like, it's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But did, I mean, did that really have a return on the investment? I don't know, because I don't know if any of my other, you know, other people I had, I went to Spain with the people of my cohort. I mean, I don't know how memorable or life-changing that experience was for them you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. as opposed to have really being immersed in a place and having to figure it out even if you're not you know the only one and doing it by yourself but just in a different kind of space you know Mm -hmm. i just felt like we were definitely having this very elevated american experience Mm. (laughs) um and it was not as academically rigorous as it could have been and probably should have been. Well, like you said, that's, that's honest. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty in that regard. Um, so it was challenging being in Valencia and, and some things were kind of disappointing as well, but you, how did you put it? You put it in your email in a really nice way. It was like your bubble was burst, but not, broken <laughs> and you still wanted to like travel internationally and live abroad i'm i'm wondering because uh barcelona now is, is where you live um how you ended up deciding to return to spain and living in barcelona specifically is that is was that the city that you had your your sights set on when you were thinking about moving abroad no not at all i wasn't even thinking about spain 
<laughs> I I returned from study abroad, and I was like, wow, that was an experience. And after like a you know a month or two of eating like Chick Fil A and being with my boyfriend, I was like. <laughs> All right, I, I still want to live abroad. You know what I mean? Like, I still want to go out. I want to see the world. And so I just I just knew I wanted to. And so when I graduated from university, I was always looking for jobs abroad. I was trying to figure it out. And, you know, there wasn't, like, these kind of resources at the time where you could just be like, I wonder who's, like, lived abroad and how, what are all the different ways to live abroad, you mm. know? Especially because I wasn't in um, our international affairs school at the University of Georgia. I was in the business school. So mm. if I was in the international affairs school, I'm sure they'd be like, here's a whole list. Um, and they weren't really talking to each other. You know, we didn't have, like, that cross-department kind of thing or cross-school kind of thing. Or if I had been a Spanish major, they'd been like, this is what you can do. But I was only a minor. So mm-hmm. it was really tough. You know, I ended up going through like my mom's Rolodex, which she still did have at the time. You know, <laughs> to be like, who, like, who, who's lived abroad or who has a friend that, that lives somewhere and like called people, cold called people who were like, who is this girl? I don't even know, you know, Adrian's daughter. Who's Adrian? I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Just trying to figure it out and just being, you know, just quite defeated, especially because I graduated from university in 2009. Mm. It was not the time to graduate from university. No, it wasn't. (laughs) It was not. It was horrible. And so I have these ideas of wanting to go abroad, but I also have like this entitlement about work, right? I just feel like I did everything that was asked of me and expected of me since middle school. Mm-hmm. I did all the extracurriculars. I went to university. I did all the things. I had my little CV. did my little internships. Like, where is my job? Mm-hmm. And it didn't come. It just didn't come. And it was such a crazy experience. I, I started working at The Gap, which for me was just like, I used to work in retail in high school. Now I'm a college graduate oh. and I'm still working retail. Yeah. Like, what is this? I was a waitress for only a little bit of time because I was like the worst waitress in the entire world. <laughs> the worst one. <laughs> Where people were just like, please stop being our waitress. Like, oh, like, no. It was bad. <laughs> you know? And I was like, my little sister was in middle school. So I ended up being, I ended up, you know, moving back home and being my little sister's chauffeur to all her things. It was it was a crazy time for me mm. of just trying to figure out how do I make my life happen? Like, what are the steps? And I just couldn't yeah. figure out the international component. And so I took a year where I was working all the time and just quite miserable. And I decided, like people do when they're desperate, to go to law school. So <laughs> I decided, you know what, I should go to law school because that is going to be the answer to everything in my life. Mm. And it wasn't. But I did. <laughs> I went to University of Miami. I went to law school. And I quickly understood that I didn't want to be a lawyer in the traditional sense. Mm. And I still wanted to go abroad. And I still was like, how... Do I get this law degree and go abroad and try to figure it out? And what ended up happening was that I joined the University of Miami's incubator, which they still have on campus, which is called the Launchpad. It's an entrepreneurship incubator. And I joined as a legal fellow. 
and I started to do business consulting. So business advising and consulting, getting people from basically ideation to strategy to launch hmm. or help people who had, you know, family businesses, who had established businesses to scale and to pivot. And for me, that was really instrumental in my life. One, because it was something that I liked to do. Like all of a sudden I was like, I like this because I was not liking law school at the time. Mm. <laughs> I was just like, this is not what I want to do. Yeah. So I was like, this is what I want to do. I'm passionate about this. This is great. And the opportunity really morphed into a fantastic opportunity after I graduated from law school because the director of that program, she ended up creating a private entity in downtown Miami that really housed an accelerator program for tech uh, startups and also had a component of creating entrepreneurial ecosystems. But her market was worldwide, right? So we were pitching to places in Colombia, I think in Panama and Tanzania and other places around the continent. And so when I got offered that job right after law school or when I was still in law school at the end of my my third year, I was mm-hmm. like, yep, I want to do that. That sounds interesting. And then, you know, a week later or so, you know, I'm, I'm in the Publix grocery store, the frozen food section. And I get a call from this director and she says, hey, do you have a passport? I'm like, yeah, I have a passport. You know, as I'm trying to get like my, my frozen beans or whatever I was doing. Yeah. I was like, what do you... Why are you calling me, you know? And she's like, great, bring it, bring it over to the office. And I was like, uh, why? She's like, oh, we're going on trade mission to Namibia and South Africa in oh, two wow. weeks. So like, let's go. And I was wow. like, oh my God. <laughs> so graduating from, from law school. And then while everyone else is studying for the bar exam, I You're am off going to, to Namibia yeah. and I'm going to <laughs> South Africa. It was a game changer. Mm. It was a game changer in so many different ways. Again, I found myself to be like the only black person in like this cohort of business people. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Mm. Being in a, you know, being on the continent of Africa surrounded by black people and having these amazing experiences like meeting the then, you know, U.S. ambassador to Namibia, who was a black woman. And she's hosting us in her compound and me being like, what, 25 or 26 and being like, I intellectually, I know that black women can be U.S. ambassadors, Mm -hmm. but I never met one and I never seen one in a book. And now I'm in her compound and I'm like, my mind is blown. And I knew then I was like, oh, I have to be abroad. Like, I have to be abroad. Mm. I got to I got to see where where I can take this. And so. I, I was there. I did that work. That was just fantastic. It was an amazing opportunity. I had an unexpected death in my family. So I, oh, I had to quit and uh, return home to Atlanta. I started my own consultancy, uh, doing business strategy and business development for just businesses, micro and small businesses in the holistic wellness space. Hmm. But still with the eye to go abroad. And I wanted to go abroad. I didn't care where. I didn't care what, and that's the issue. And that's the problem. Anyone listening, you can't do that. (laughs) You will set yourself up for a horrible heartbreak, which is what I did. You know, I ended up applying for this, basically like this personal development brand 
I was based in Kuala Lumpur at the time. And I, you know, applied for this position that they were having. It, it was basically a startup at the time. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can do this. I want to go. I don't care. I don't care what you pay me. I just want to go to Kuala Lumpur. I just want to get out. I want to do it. And <laughs> I went through all of the interviews. They extended me an offer. And I was like, yes, I'm going. My mom was like, what? I didn't even pay me money. I was like, oh, they're paying me something. And, you know, Malaysian, you know. Like, because I, don't, I don't even know what the conversion was. But I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. I'll, I'm just going to go. I said goodbye to my friends. I actually flew down to Miami to do like a farewell party with my friends. Mm. I got rid of my beautiful apartment in, in Atlanta and in Inman Park. So cute. And was <laughs> like, I'm going to Malaysia. And just to find out that like a month later when, you know, my visas was getting processed and stuff like that. They reneged on the offer, and I'm like, like I have nothing. I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. Oh, I don't know man. what's gonna happen. And I was devastated. I didn't know like what the universe was playing at. I was like, this is not funny. <laughs> this is not cute. Like I don't like this because now I don't got anything, and I live in the suburbs with my mom again. Like what oh. is this? Like this is not cool. Mm. And I just I was so angry, and I I went on a, a hike at Kansas Mountain and I was just like universe what do you want me to do where do you want me to be because you obviously don't want me to live my best jet setting life like <laughs> where do you want me to be and I got this download that I needed to walk the Camino Santiago and I was like what I was like no Pick, pick something else, you know, like, you know, shake the magic eight ball again. I'm like, no, that's not it. Like, let's do something else. <laughs> and it just stuck with me in a way to this day. Nothing has ever nagged at me like this hmm. um, ever in my life. And I'd only heard about the community of Santiago like six or eight months prior and only once from you know, a friend of mine, we'd all gone to like see the movie together. We were having like dinner afterwards and we were just talking about bucket list items, you know, things that people do when you have mm-hmm. dinner. You know, like, and she was like, oh yeah, this is part of my bucket list. I want to go do the Camino Santiago and walk across Spain. And I was like, that does not sound like fun. Like everyone else's bucket list item sounds cool. And this doesn't sound cool at all. Like why would I want to walk across Spain? <laughs> but that's what was, that's what just was in my heart. And I was hiding it so, so badly. Mm-hmm. And when I allowed myself to even look it up, right? So it was dogging me for like two days straight. It was strange. Nothing like this had ever happened to me before. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll just look it up. I'll see what it's about. And I saw it. It's like, it's an 800 kilometer, which is 500 miles, more than 500 miles oh, across Spain. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I was like, no, universe. Like, pick something else. But it kept on going. And so I threw out all of these reasons why I can't do it. I was like, but I'm, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm a frail woman. I can't do it. You know? like, I can't do it. And of course, you know, as soon as I have that thought, you know, I scroll down some page I'd looked up and it's a forum and there's like these like three 80 year old women who are like, this is my 15th Camino and I'm doing it again this year. And, then, and I was like, what? 
wow. like, I can't let these That's older ladies show me up. Like, I just can't. Because <laughs> I'm not a punk, and I just can't do that. I just can't do it. And I was 27 at the time, so I was like, I no, I can't, I can't live my life like this. And so I heeded the call. I heeded the call mm. woefully unprepared. I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. Um, I thought at every turn someone would tell me, no, I shouldn't do it. And I did not get that at all. Everyone was like, yeah, you should do it. And the doors is all opened and the resources were just there. And it was just like, it was very much um, faded, in my opinion, for me to do this thing. Mm. And so from, uh, I think maybe a little bit less than a month from when you know, the offer was reneged to when I landed in France to start walking this Camino de Santiago. It was a crazy turnaround. And, you know, you start in France on the French side of the, uh, the Pyrenees and you land in on the Atlantic coast of Spain in Finisterra. And I walked for 33 days across the, Spain, across Ooh, the country of Spain. And I had never... I had, I mean, I wasn't outdoorsy before this, right? Like, <laughs> I was outdoorsy, like, let's have brunch on a terrace. Like, let's do that. <laughs> like, that's, that's outdoorsy. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, yeah, I would go walking on like Kennesaw Mountain, but Kennesaw Mountain, for anyone who doesn't know, is, it's like, it's a paved path. Like, you could park your car, you walk up, you walk down, get in your car, you leave. Mm-hmm. That's, it's that kind of thing. <laughs> it's that kind of outdoorsy kind of thing. <laughs> so, I did this thing and it was completely life changing for me. It was Mm. extremely hard. It brought up my, the worst in me and the best. It brought up uh, so many feelings and emotions that I had compartmentalized. But for me, it just changed everything. I saw a part of Spain that I'd never seen in a very intimate kind of way. And I got to interact with so many incredibly, incredible people. And I just realized that I could do anything. Mm-hmm. I could do anything because, you know, on the Camino, they say paso a paso, which is step by step, mm-hmm. which is basically how you get anything done and how I've gotten everything that I've ever gotten done since then. It's just literally with that kind of mantra. And so yeah, I walked up into Santiago and was like, oh, I'm moving to Spain now. Like, <laughs> it's very clear. Now I'm going to move to Spain. And I made it happen. I I was still doing the entrepreneurial thing back in Atlanta after I finished the Camino. I was really suffering with toxic grind culture. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize I was depressed and anxious and burnt out. It wasn't until several years later that I was like, I had language for it. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I was depressed. Oh my God, that's an anxiety attack. I've had that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm oh, it's crazy. <laughs> it is, and, it's, and it's unfortunate because I feel like black and brown students, especially, you know, have this pressure in America to achieve and to achieve and to mm, right. go after things and sleep, but no. You know, like, I remember having stomach pains in high school, like, and being like with so much stress and then mm. having knots in my back and, still being like, I have to go, I have to go. And the thing is that that coupled with just being a person of color in America will really create a very, very toxic cocktail of how you're going to live a life, and especially as a young adult, what you think is normal, what you think is self-care, like what you think you deserve, just period. It just becomes extremely, extremely toxic. And so 
I was suffering with the worst burnout ever. I thought something was wrong with me, but not like in a, I should seek help. I was just like, ah, I'm just so lazy now. And I don't know why I can't get things done. And so I decided, you know, like, I want to go to Spain. I'll take some time off and I will take a sabbatical and I will teach English with the Auxiliar de Conversacion program. And I will do that. I will get myself together and then I'll be fine. But what happened was, you know, moving to Spain, moving to La Rioja to be an Auxiliar de Conversacion, which is a 12 hour gig. The entire week is 12 hours. Mm -hmm. I work three days a week. I was like, this is different. <laughs> First, it was like, what am I going to do with all this time? I feel lazy. And then all of a sudden, I was like, this feels great. This is different. And I, I can get used to this. And I just was like, I'm not going back to the States. I'm not. I'm mm. not going to do it. I knew that I didn't want to be an auxiliary forever. Like It was a cool experience that first year, but just for the person that I am, I'm very ambitious, and I like working for myself. I was just like, there has to be a way for me to enjoy this lifestyle and also do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Because if I can enjoy this lifestyle and do what I want to do, I will be happy. And so that's what I did. You know, I was living in La Rioja, and I had another friend who was also on Zillard who was working remotely for a company. They needed a business writer for one of their blogs. I picked up that gig and then I flipped that gig into a full remote gig doing business strategy for the nice. company. And I moved to Barcelona because I had, you know, a partner. I had a boyfriend in Barcelona and that became a whole thing. Which was cool and amazing. And, you know, that, you know, I decided to walk away from both that relationship and, you know, the fully remote gig and do my own thing hmm. and and stay and stay in Spain and really cultivate a life well lived for me. And I think that's what living abroad has has given to me. And that's how I've ended up here. It's hmm. always been very intentional. I knew that there was a different way to live life. I knew that I could really create the life that I wanted, but I needed to be really present and I really needed to be an active participant. Yeah. What often happens in America is that we think that because we're really busy and we're really stressed out and there's a lot of like flashing lights and alarms going off that we're present and we're not. We're actually just kind of zombies walking through mm. this and we're constantly being triggered wow. and but we have these automatic responses to these triggers but oftentimes we're too literally exhausted completely sleep deprived com and completely overstimulated to really be present and to really be active participants in our lives and to really be conscious creators in our lives yeah and so we end up getting whatever we get right like if we get lucky on a certain on a certain pathway or if we have something that we shakes up our lives like a death or something like that then we kind of wake up and really take charge but oftentimes you know a lot of us are trying are, are trying to survive in some way and sometimes feeling like we can even create our day our life seems very far away mm -hmm. and so that's why 
you know, I've chosen to stay in Spain because it gives me that space. It gives me that space to be and choose. And I think that it's it's a space that really a lot of people have experienced, regardless of where they move abroad to. Because I think what I had experienced when I studied abroad was the dissonance, right? The contrast that you experience when you're like, "This is not how I do things. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, <laughs> why y'all do this?" Right. But in that space is actually choice in that space is actually conscious awareness. Hmm. So if we aren't so caught up with, oh, that makes you feel uncomfortable. I hate that. Do it my way. This is wrong. If we actually sit in that discomfort, we can actually be really awake to the choice that it's given to us. And if I sit there, then all of a sudden I'm empowered to either say, okay, yeah, I could take this choice. Or maybe no, I, I think I still want to do it this way. Mm. It's a different way of thinking. And that's what's so beautiful about studying abroad. That's what's so beautiful about living abroad. Because then it also creates that space. You have not only the power of choice, but you also have a space for you know a while where you are othered. It doesn't matter where you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just othered if you're on the consular or wherever. You're not a local. So people give you a little bit of grace, you know, willingly mm. or begrudgingly for you <laughs> to be strange. And yeah. then you get to really be whatever you want to be because you don't have the assumptions and the societal pressures of your home country. And no one's really expecting you to be like a local, obviously to be respectful and things like that. But mm-hmm. like nobody's really expecting you to assimilate fully. And so you have a space for you to really create a life to really experiment, to really be free in a way that you probably haven't been free before. Mm-hmm. And for me, like giving that up is like, no, like I want to do what I want to do. And so that's why I've, I've stayed in Barcelona. And it's probably why I will stay abroad for the majority of my life. I don't mm. see myself going back to the States. Yeah. I mean, that's understandable, especially given like, very recent history. <laughs> Certainly don't blame you for deciding to stay abroad. But um yeah, what a what a powerful story you have in terms of like you said, struggling or and having these very humbling and frustrating experience of trying to find a job or a path that was worthy of your qualifications and everything you'd worked for to you know, being really <laughs> almost desperate to get out and 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 trying to find ways to move abroad and not having it work out until you get this calling to well walk this insanely long trail which then leads you to <laughs> moving to Spain that's that's I don't even know the word for it that's just a really powerful <laughs> amazing story wow I appreciate you sharing that with me. I know I'd heard a bit of it previously um, when I listened to your show beforehand. But, uh, yeah, good for you, Christine. (laughs) Good for you. That's amazing. It's fantastic how things have worked out so far. Um, How do you find living in Barcelona now, especially compared to, like, previous times you've been in Spain? How do you find living in Barcelona now that, you know, this is your, your home now? Well, I think living in Barcelona, I think a lot of people always try to describe cities and they compare them to like other cities and they like to compare them to like American cities. 
I don't know why they do that. Mm. I've heard people say, Barcelona is like Miami. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's nothing like Miami at all, actually. <laughs> nothing, nothing like Miami. Um, I find living in Barcelona to be an interesting experience for sure. This is the first time I've ever lived in a like mass tourism hotspot. Like, I lived in Miami, but the thing about Miami is that the tourists are actually very specific places in Miami. Mm. And because, you know, at the time when I was living in Miami, the public transit wasn't, like, super great. You weren't having, like, tourists, like, just jump on the train or jump on a bus and come to where, you know, everyone else was, like, living life. Yeah. It doesn't really happen. <laughs> like, does it? Like, when people, you know, were visiting, like, if there was, like, a big festival, like, in Miami, they had, like, ultra festival, then, of course, like, the tourists kind of, like, descend on everything. But it's not constant. Living in Barcelona, it was, at least pre-COVID, it was a constant crush of tourists all the time, only getting worse in the summertime when, like, the population quadrupled. Just it was it, it was this insane place to live where you're just like everything is really catered towards tourists and that's a problem. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, it was just weird. It's it's weird to be in a place in which you're walking just down the street and like people are just having holiday and they're just like oblivious to like you just living your life because they're on holiday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what is this? <laughs> this is not the beach. Like this is just a, a street. Like please put on a shirt and stop walking around in flip flops. Like what are you doing? <laughs> you know. So it's been it's been such an interesting experience um, with COVID happening. Mm. Uh, it's been horrible, obviously, but also kind of wonderful um, because you know this past summer the tourism was obviously very decimated here in Spain. Nobody's really trying to come here because we haven't really ever had a handle on COVID. It's just like the government sometimes like, no, we'll allow people to come in. Oh, wait, no one can come. Oh, let's let people come mm. in. But like, it's not really tied to Spain handling the crisis better. <laughs> it's yeah. not at all. Which is unfortunate because a lot of the Spanish uh, economy is dependent on tourism mm. and the service industry. And so that's kind of their motivation. But um, this summer... There's no one here. And I was like, this is the perfect amount of people to be in the city. Like, it wasn't too many. It wasn't Finally. Crushing. It wasn't like segways everywhere. Yeah. People on bikes who are not in the bike lane and just riding all crazily. And the beaches were actually, you could still see sand because normally in the summertime in Barcelona, you can't even see the sand. There's so many people on mm. the beach, on the boardwalk. You can't even see it. It's just crazy. It was like, this is actually the appropriate amount of people that should be in the city at any time. Mm. So it's it's been interesting. Um, and what was what's also interesting is that, you know, living abroad is just that, living. It's not a romantic experience. Yeah. Like, life still happens. When I moved to Spain. I was in Barcelona for the first two months before I moved to La Rioja. And I landed in, in Barcelona on a Tuesday. And on the Thursday was the terrorist attack of 2017 on Las Ramblas. Oh. And that was crazy. I was anywhere close to it, but it was just like, what is happening? Like, no one knows what was happening in the city for a long time. And obviously, the news, like, 
got out to, like, the rest of the world before, like, even we really understood what was happening in the city. Seriously? And that was... Wow. Yeah. It was crazy because it was... The thing is that there was so much misinformation. Uh-huh. That was the thing. So, like, the people who were on Las Ramblas and the, the police could get to the news and they could say this is what's happening. But then there were a lot of, like, Twitter reports mm-hmm. <laughs> of, like, things happening all around the city. And, like, oh, I just heard this loud bang and people were freaking out. I remember, you know, I used to live close to Arc de Triomphe um, with my ex and we were we were in the house but then like all this commotion happened and because Spain is very different from the United States or at least black Americans. Black Americans hear something they're like, oh, I don't want to see nothing. I don't want to be involved. <laughs> Spanish people are like, what's happening? Let's go to the street. What's going on? You know, so I got pulled into that. I was like, this seems dangerous. Like we should... Like close the blinds and like lay down. Like I don't know. Um, the people like scattering everywhere. And Las, you know, Arca Triumph is not close to Las Ramblas, really. Like, but people like didn't know what was going on. There mm. were reports. There's like bomb at the Arca Triumph. There was stuff happening in Grassy. It was crazy. And then my mom is like texting me like, "What's going on? Call me immediately." And I'm like, "I'm fine." Ah. <laughs> um. And then, you know, after that, dealing with political unrest. So I, I get there in 2017 and I leave Barcelona on September 30th, 2017, which is really poignant because from the terrorist attack until September 30th, there became this just outright tension between the Catalan government and the Spanish central government mm. about this referendum on independence. There are people in Catalonia that want Catalonia to be its own country, mm. which, you know, as someone who was like, wait, what? I just moved here. Y'all can't just be breaking stuff up. I just got here. <laughs> I, I need y'all to have peace. And happiness, because I just got here. So you guys need to really cater to me. And that's not what happened, right? That's that's what living abroad is, you know? Right. So on my morning runs went from, you know, just running, okay, cute. And then, you know, starting to see police or barricades around the Palacio de Justicia or the parliament building to all out, like, military equipment and, like, police officers with these huge guns. Mm. I was like, I did not leave the United States for this. Like, I didn't leave it. Like, this is crazy. And so by the time I leave, I'm like, all right, I'm going to La Rioja to work. The next day, they have the referendum, which has been deemed illegal, so it wasn't supposed to happen. Mm. They have it anyway. And there's just chaos. There's police brutality. There is uprising. There's stuff being burned. People lose eyes and limbs, and it's Oof, crazy. People are geez. bloodied. It's all over the TV. The whole world is like, what's happening in Spain? People are calling Spain, the Spanish government, fascists. They're calling the Catalans, you know, insurrectionists. This is crazy. Mm. And so that, and then living in a region, you know, La Rioja, where they have a whole idea of what's happening, they're like, yeah, the police should beat them because what are you doing? You're by a space. It's like oh, a lot wow. of different things where you're just like, I am dealing with a different country's politics. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm <laughs> in it. And that's what living abroad is also. Is. It's, it's not like 
you know, just paella and sangria. And everyone's just, you know, saying, hola. And like, he, like no, it's real life, you mm-hmm. know. So it's been quite interesting. There's still, I think, there's still a faction of independence people here. But, you know, the COVID situation has put a damper on their hopes and dreams because, mm-hmm. like, we're trying to deal with this. But it's it's been interesting. And then also, I think as a Black woman, specifically as a Black American woman, it's been interesting how how I've been received and perceived for sure. Mm. I think that Spanish people are well. I think people have to understand like Spanish people speak Spanish, but they are not like Latin American people. I think people need to understand that. I think people come to Spain, they're like, "Where's the flavor?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> these are white people, exactly. White Europeans <laughs> that speak Spanish. That's it." And, like, the only flavor you're going to get is, like, in the South, in Andalusia, with the flamenco. And that's still, that's mostly from, you know, Romney or Gypsy culture. You know, like, mm. that's not what's happening here. And so, you know, you also have a lot of ignorance, you know, or and a lot of, um, I don't even know what you call it, apathy. Like, a lot of Spaniards not really understanding like Spain colonized a lot of the world yes. and like the yeah. repercussions, repercussions of that. They're just like, mm, I don't know. Like, we don't really know why everyone else speaks Spanish. I'm like, why, <laughs> why do all these countries speak Spanish? Like they don't really get it. I mean, it's not <laughs> hard to, 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 to figure out, but I understand right? the, you know, the, I guess, like you said, apathy or ignorance or, you know, I'm sorry, please continue. <laughs> Like they don't really get it, or it's very romanticized. Yeah. That, like the Spanish Empire, and it's like what? Like mm, no, not really, because especially how you treat, you know, the descendants of the people you enslaved and you subjugated, mm-hmm. who do have, you know, some kind of easy ways to emigrate to Spain. You know, you look at these people who are clutching onto the rosaries your ancestors gave them, mm-hmm. they're speaking the language your ancestors gave them. You're like, mm, mm, you're kind of, you know, you're too whatever, basically not white in Spanish. It's just like, mm-hmm. mm, that's, that's a problem. Um, and then being black is always interesting because they're just very confused. Depending on where you are in Spain, they're just like, they can't really place me. So like, what, where are you from? And, when I say the United States, like, no, but where are you really from? Mm. And I'm like, well, you know, esclavitude. So I always say, like, you know, slavery? And they're like, oh, wait, we don't want to talk about that. And I'm like, all right. Because we're going to talk. I'll go speak to you in Spanish about it. But they don't want to talk about it. So It's too real for them, know, I guess. They don't, they, they're just like, okay, American, fine. That's what you said? Okay, fine. Um, especially, like, the older people, they'll say that. But, you know, the younger people, they're like, Black American. It's a novelty. They're mm. like, all the things that I think are cool are from Black America. Or like, you know, like, I oh, I want to be part of it. It's, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. And especially, I think, in a city like Spain, in which it is very international. And it actually has, you know, Black populations and people of color populations. But you definitely feel the effects of passport privilege. Mm. Whereas, you know, people might look at me and be like, okay, negra, black girl, whatever. Mm. But then they, like, hear me speak Spanish. Like, wait, is that a green girl? Like, is that a a girl who can't really speak some Spanish (laughs) with that American accent? Oh, my goodness. 
and they're like, oh, like, oh, American? Oh, then, like, the red carpet gets rolled out and you get to do all, you know. And I'm like, no, keep that same energy. Keep that same energy because, you know, right? Because I'm just negra, right? That's what it is. So mm. keep it. Um, and it's hard because also realizing that my process to immigrate to Spain is substantially easier than a lot of people who've lived in Spain for much longer than I have who mm. speak fluent Spanish and are just, you know, irregular or illegal or sin papeles and things like that. And that's unfair. It's, it's just unfair. It's complete passport privilege. It's complete. It's a pay-to-play system, basically. So, you know, mm. like if you can pay these fees and you can get a lawyer or if you can show you have this amount of money, well, you can come and welcome to Spain. Um, there's a lot of things that makes it, you know, uncomfortable. Um, yeah. It is very, very stark because it's such a homogenous country. So, like, you see, like, there's a black person. There's a black person. Are we being treated the same? No. Like, because you're like, you're American. Here you go. Um, but also, that's a bullseye for you, too, because there's always, like, special foreign prices or special, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Here, we're going to show you this apartment. I'm like, why is this apartment so expensive? I want the regular apartment. They yeah. don't want to show you the regular apartment. They want you to buy, you know, to get this apartment. So being in Barcelona has been, it's been interesting. It's definitely made me really lean on the other black women that are living here and mm-hmm. the color that are living here. It really forces me to really cultivate friendships and stuff like that because it's not a chocolate city it's not like i'm just gonna see somebody like hey what's up or you're gonna get me like in atlanta it's like all right you know especially atlanta is a very hospitable kind of city so it's like everything is kind of cool it's not it's not really like that you know Mm -hmm. barcelona is not the warmest uh spanish city for sure Mm -hmm. the catalog culture is quite insular so there's so many things at play it's a transient city so there's a lot of things going on to the experience, but I will say that it has been nice living in the city because of the fact that, you know, so many amazing opportunities come to the city because it's such an international city. Mm. Um, whether it be concerts or people coming to speak or experiences or just incredible flight deals. Like um, October, in, yeah, October 2019, yeah, it wouldn't have been last year, but October 2019, <laughs> you know, I decided to fly to Bangkok one way, like two days before I decided I wanted to go. And I got like a ticket. It was like one stop in Cairo for like 340 USD. Like, mm. where do they do this? Like, how? Like, what? I went to from Barcelona That's to awesome. Bangkok. Like, it's incredible. <laughs> You know, and I can fly direct to Atlanta. I can fly direct anywhere. I mm-hmm. actually can fly direct to San Francisco, and it's cheaper than me flying direct to Atlanta, which I don't know why, but mm-hmm. it is. It's, it's, it's cheaper. So, <laughs> you know, these things are really nice. It's, it's nice to be able to go and see and experience and obviously be around Europe and, and experience all the things that it has to offer as yeah. well. Yeah, sounds like a lot of advantages as well as i guess maybe not always harsh but just like realities of of life like you said political realities and and the like uh you mentioned having to put effort into well like having this like sincere desire to connect with other black women uh, i'm wondering if you starting flourish in the foreign if that was 
if that was part of your effort to connect with black women or did that come after you had already started forming connections um, with other, you know, black women ex- expats like your, oh goodness, other black women expats like yourself? Yeah, so the idea for Flourish the Foreign came after um, I had connected with other black expat women because it was in living abroad, in meeting these black women, um, or just being introduced to them online, mm-hmm. that I was just like, we've been doing this forever. And I knew it in my heart, but I never, like, I didn't have that proof. I didn't, I didn't know where to see, seek them out on the internet. And not everybody was putting their life out on the internet, like right. now, you know? So, <laughs> um, and so I just kept on meeting these incredible, incredible black women who were just like, you're so dope. You're so cool. And I just kept on thinking to myself, I wish I had this in 2009 and in 2012 and 2015. Like, I just wish I had these, mm-hmm. I had known these women. And I just was, I really got fed up too, because living in Barcelona, it's a transient kind of place and it's super expat friendly. So that there's people from everywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to, I think it was like a startup event or an entrepreneurial event. And this Australian guy was like, oh, so what are you doing here? And I thought he was talking about like entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh, well, I'm interested. I just want to get in the scene. He was like, no, like, what are you doing here in Barcelona? And I was like, I'm just living. And he was just like, he just looked so confused. And I was like, you're from Australia, like way further away than I am. Like what's so confusing about wanting to live in a country? Right. You know, we're both non-EU. Like, it takes us the exact same amount of effort to immigrate to, to Spain. So it's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And I just got tired of that. I got tired of this kind of whitewashed narrative of expats or immigration of who lives abroad and how they live abroad. And I knew that waiting for mainstream anything, anywhere, to tell stories of Black women who are living abroad for love or career or for adventure or on a whim was never going to happen. And if it ever did happen, they were going to mess it up intentionally. So it was just like, I wanted to showcase and I wanted to create a platform for these incredible women. And I wanted to create a resource bank for other black women Black students, Black people, anyone, mm-hmm. um, to see that we do do this and that our experiences are varied because as Black women across the diaspora, we are not a monolith. Um, we have, there are certain themes <laughs> that, that we, we encounter, but we don't approach life the same. Right. And we have different experiences because we seek out different things. And I wanted to showcase that. I wanted to show the variety and just the flavor of living life abroad. And I also wanted to showcase that living abroad really can be a pathway to wellness, especially for Black women. Mm -hmm. And how these Black women have created these amazing lives and how their lives have transformed. How have they, you know, reached wellness and how they define it. How have they encompassed that by living abroad? And so that's that was really the impetus for flourishing foreign. And I sat on it like everybody does. They we sit on these ideas, and it wasn't, you know until 2020, and you got sat down. And I was like, well, I have 
nothing else to do. All the time in the world. (laughs) So let me connect with these, you know, incredible black women and see if they want to be a part of my little podcast and see if they're even interested and see if anybody really likes it because I don't know if anyone's going to get it and all Mm -hmm. this weird stuff. And I launched it in May of 2020 and it has just taken off like a rocket Mm. in a way that I never, I didn't know, but it's heartwarming to know that people want these stories. They are so ready for these stories and they just love them. And I'm just so grateful that I can be the one to, to showcase them. It's just been such a labor of love. Yeah. Congrats to you for um, launching the show, especially as you mentioned, <laughs> maybe sitting on it and pondering on, on the idea for a while, you know, just launching that and making it something real that exists out there in the world is is commendable in and of itself. And then on top of that, it being um, taking off, <laughs> as you put it, um, taking off as it has, that's um, that's wonderful as well. So, you know, kudos to you. You mentioned uh, moving abroad is like a path to wellness, but you've also mentioned very, you know, honestly and realistically that like living abroad is not like a romantic experience. Like all your problems are not just going to go away just because you move to another country. So I'm wondering for you, or maybe even from what you've heard from your guests, like what is it that still makes it worth it? in terms of seeking wellness, like even given all the the caveats and all the difficulties that still exist, what about living abroad still ends up being like pertinent and helpful to getting closer to wellness and in, in either your life or, you know, your guests' lives? Yeah, I think living abroad forces you to become really clear about what you truly value. Hmm. Because I think at first there is this like just low hum of dissonance where you're just like, I don't know. I don't really like, I don't, I don't know. And you really have to, if you want to stay abroad, you have to investigate that. What is it that you don't like? What is it that you're missing? What is it that you truly want? Hmm. And and I think living abroad forces you to articulate that in a way that perhaps you don't have to, you don't really have to be as, super honest with yourself when you are in your home country going with the flow because maybe you're not really being challenged that much or you're comfortable um, or things have always been this, this way. So you're just like, this is how it is, you know, especially I think coming from a culture that is so um, achievement oriented and thing oriented and consumption oriented mm-hmm. it's like if you don't have access to these same achievements or these same things these same you know standards of success or a life well lived right then then all of a sudden you get to actually create what that means to you mm-hmm. if it's not you know buying a hummer or something i don't even know if people even buy hummers and hummers <laughs> It's all right. I get what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> but you know, if you, if that's not the thing or if yeah. buying a McMansion is like, what are you talking about? You like, you live in Paris. What are you saying? Like, you know, like, what is that? If that's not the measure of success, then all of a sudden you get to decide what that is. You can either decide to assimilate to whatever your, you know, new country's measures of success are. 
But I mean, I'm, I haven't really found anyone that actually has done that fully because, you know, those are things that are like deeply programmed through subconscious, mm. like cultural, like that's, yeah. you know, that's why they have that, that unexplicable why. Like when you ask people like, well, why? And you're like, it's just because we do it, right? <laughs> you don't have that because it's not what you do. So you're like, I don't need that. I don't know why that's important. Um, and that's what's so great about it because you have to start saying why and you have to start being really honest about yourself and mm-hmm. what you want because now you don't really have the pressure of maybe friends or family who are looking over your shoulder you know they're time zones away they're only seeing what you post on instagram yeah. so like you really don't have like this pressure that you may have had of people who are looking you know down their nose at you you really get to say what do I want to do? What is actually important to me? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes it worth it because then you say, okay, you know, I live in a homogenous country like Spain. Do I want to live in a homogenous country like Spain forever? I don't know. To be honest, like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I think I may need some more flavor. That's why I live in a city, right? I think I need some more flavor. But you know what? I enjoy health insurance. Like, I really mm-hmm. do. Um, especially coming from the entrepreneurial Field, you know, where I've had, you know, several friends who are entrepreneurs with me in, in Atlanta who had employees and yet did not have health insurance because they could not afford for, mm. for themselves. Living in a country now where I have private health care insurance, it's like 40, 60 euros a month, and it is fantastic. Mm. One, because it has to be like this is part of like the visa requirement. They're like, you have to have health insurance, yeah, and you can't have any copay. You have to have repatriation in case you die here, so we can ship you back. Oh, you to. <laughs> like that's the kind of insurance. And mine mm-hmm. is forty six euros a, a month, and I go to the doctor, yeah. and I go to the private doctor. So that means I get to go whenever I want. But people who are naysayers on socialized medicine, like it's the wait times and stuff like that. It's like a lot of places with socialized medicine have private health care, mm-hmm. and it's still substantially you know, better and cheaper than the United States. Yeah. Like, that's a huge thing. Like, if I'm sick, I go to the doctor, I get medication. Oftentimes, it's covered in my health insurance. If it's not, I have not paid more than 60 euros for medicine. Mm. Like, just period. Imagine so that. Like, <laughs> that's a huge thing. Yeah. You know, and, you know, that's a thing that changes your life because, you know, a, lo- a big thing with a bunch of um, Americans I've talked to is that, we're learning to really engage in preventative health care because before we wouldn't go to the doctor. Yeah. So now it's like, I could just go for a checkup and I'm not feeling well. Maybe I just want to get some tests done. Like we never even thought about that. Mm. So it's a completely different way of living life and yeah. valuing your life. That makes it worth it. You know, professionally, I find that a lot of, the women that I've interviewed have found success outside of their home country, either because of, you know, the lack of systemic racism or because of the fact that they get to lean into their Americanism, their British, their whatever, and their credentials. Hmm. And they're just this and they get to excel in a way that they hadn't been able to excel or it becomes a supply and demand issue. And they're like, I'm in, you know, I'm in demand and I get to be the one, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's been really amazing. Financially well, a lot of women have been able to, depending on where they live, 
either engage in geo-arbitrage, meaning go to a place in which cost of living is substantially lower, their home currency is much stronger, and they can basically leverage that into savings and perhaps compound those savings, invest in things like that mm. to have not only a really great lifestyle, but pay down debts or invest in other ways. Or they're just really getting paid a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're just like, and perhaps they're in the Middle East where it's like tax free. And they're like, yeah, this is great. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just stacking cash. Um, and mentally, you know, I've had a lot of women, you know, leave their home countries and either get mental help for the first time mm-hmm. or a lot of their mental um, health issues have been definitely eased yeah. by not being in their home country and dealing with whatever you know craziness they were enduring. It's part of either being in a society that is perhaps not as violent <laughs> mm-hmm. or in a society in which there is no systemic racism, though I always want to put the caveat that anti-blackness is global yes, so it may it not is. be systemic racism but it may be discrimin- it may be colorism yeah. it may be passport privilege and other things like that but systemic racism is not there in a history of you know torturing killing, dehumanizing black people may not exist in that country and mm. therefore how they operate is completely different so I've I've seen I've seen that I've had recently I've had a guest on the show in which she's physically healed, physically oh, wow. you know being able to go abroad and one afford all of the healthcare that she needs, afford all these alternative medicines, literally be able to live a lifestyle in which she can lay in bed and she did I think I think it was about two or three months. And just heal mm. because she can. She needed to rest. She needed to be given, you know, have this medical prevention, participate in these alternative, you know, medicines and heal herself and have mm. experience that healed her physically, but also spiritually. And so there is there's always going to be, I think, especially as a black woman. There's going to be something as a black woman. I think that I'm not sure if there's a utopia for us in a general sense. Yeah. But I think that if we really take the time to get to know ourselves, really take the time to know what our vision for our life is and, and bet on ourselves, knowing that we can go abroad and we can always change our mind and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and But as long as we're honest with how we want to go abroad, but if, as long as we're honest with what we're looking for, then we'll be able to get some really good information, even if country one isn't it. Mm-hmm. And find a place that really works for us. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've had women who live all around the world, from Japan to Bangladesh to France uh, to Mexico to Canada to Russia. Like, there's a lot of different places. And you'd be like, what? Are there black people? And, and some, there's black people. Surprisingly, some, there's not. And they're like, and it still works for me. Mm. I've interviewed people here in Barcelona that are like, I'm getting out of Barcelona as soon as possible. <laughs> um, you know, there ain't no men here. And I got to go. Because that's their priority. Like, I need to be partnered with a man, preferably black, and they ain't none here. And I got to go. Mm. And I've also interviewed women here in Barcelona 
where like this place feels like home since I got off the plane. This place felt like home and yeah. it has shown me nothing but love ever since. And that's why it's so important to get these stories. That's why it's so important to showcase ourselves in, in all of our individual beauty and, and variety because we all want something different. And, and how we get to our visions and how we get to wellness and how we get to fullness is really different. It's so interesting. I yeah. Think. Thank you for sharing those insights with me. And, and again, um, and I'm sure people tell you this already, but you're doing really important work. So, you know, I hope you continue to do that and gain not only understanding, but, you know, enjoyment from that process. Um, that's awesome. Oh, thank you. You're doing incredible work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> like I told you before, I wish this I wish this would have existed when I went abroad. And, and now I'm so happy that it does for so many um, students mm-hmm. who are now thinking about it because it's so important. It's so important to go abroad if you can and, and allow yourself to have the experience and know that it doesn't necessarily have to be good or bad. It can just be an experience. And you can give the meaning, like you can give yeah. it whatever meaning you want. Mm-hmm. You can take from it whatever you want. It, it doesn't have to necessarily be the thing. And I, I think it's just so, so important. So thank you for doing the work. Oh, doing this. <laughs> oh I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, obviously, we have very similar missions. So, you know, I see you and you see me and I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate your kind words. It really does mean a lot. In terms of your own experiences studying abroad and and now living abroad, for people who want to have, you know, the same or similar experiences as you, do you have any tips for being able to afford studying and or living abroad? And also, are there any other um, just general takeaways or pieces of advice that you would like to share? Yeah, I would say for studying abroad, obviously make sure, you know, the FAFSA is in, make sure. Uh, and I'm hoping now, because it's been many, many years, that there are more, you know, affordable ways to study abroad. I think that just needs to happen. Mm-hmm. There's more scholarships and more grants and more ways to make it just feasible because I definitely don't think it should be a privileged kind of thing. I think that that was the issue with with my cohort. I think if there was more people who had access to it, I'd have a different experience. So I would say that, and obviously, you know, saving up as much as possible. I worked throughout college um, at all the on-campus jobs, doing all the different on-campus things. But as for living abroad, um, I'm a big believer in entrepreneurship, and I know not everyone feels like they're an entrepreneur, but I think everyone has a side hustle in them. And a side hustle doesn't have to be your main hustle, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like the thing that you do for like your piece. Like I'm not a big, I'm not a capitalist in that kind of way where I'm like everything you do as soon as you wake up should be monetized. Like, <laughs> no, you don't have to do that. But there are some things that. Everyone has some skills. Everyone has some talents that people are always asking you about. Questions they're asking you, things they want you to do for them. And it's actually really more simple than you think to compile that knowledge into a digital product, whether it be an ebook, a guide, a template of some sort, a resource course, something like that, and monetize it and put it out there for people to experience and get your knowledge. 
I think that's a really, really smart way to go abroad because for me, a big part of going abroad was wanting to do what I wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. and that also includes like living the way I want to live. You know, Spain's economy is weak and only getting weaker. So mm-hmm. like the average salary here is between 900 euros to 1200 euros a month. Mm-hmm. That's not going to cut it for me. So I needed to leverage my talents and my skills into an online business mm-hmm. that I could then have a target market that had the income that would invest in me and need my services. And that's what I suggest to anyone who wants to go abroad, particularly black women and black American women, because we are just highly educated and highly entrepreneurial. Like, <laughs> don't be nervous because we could do anything. Like, mm-hmm. are you joking? Like, after, especially after 2020, you're nervous? Girl, you got it. <laughs> you stop it. You can do this. And so I always, I always tell people, and this is part of my business now, um, I help black women, I help women of color really leverage their talents and their skills into a viable and sustainable online business Hmm. so that they can be, one, professionally fulfilled, which means doing what you want to do with the people you want to do it. You get to pick your clients, you get to pick your services, you get to pick how you do what you do. Hmm. Um, And so that you are financially abundant. So you make the money that you want to make to make your life go round, right? You build a business that actually encompasses that in the currency that you would prefer, right? Because you may want to get paid in USD, or if you're like me, I want to get paid in Euro, actually. Thank you very much. So um, it is not the thing. The thing is not to get abroad. It's about staying abroad if you want to, and it's about thriving abroad. Uh Because it doesn't make any sense to go abroad just to be like, I live in Barcelona, but I struggle. Like, what? Like, why? You could go home for that. Like, you could really do that. So for me, my biggest tip is always to leverage your own skills and your talents. Start there. See what people will pay you for. See the things that people already want you to do for them. Mm -hmm. And monetize it. And then from that experience, I promise you, because as soon as you get someone to pay you, people are always like, I don't know. I'm like, look, as soon as you get someone to pay you, the light will get will get flicked on you. Be like, oh, okay, I can do this. Okay, you're gonna pay me. Oh, I can do this. And, oh, hey, I got all these other ideas for how you can pay me. And the great thing about you know business like that, you can make it as active or passive as you want it to be. You can leverage it into creating a portfolio for yourself to then attract international clients if you want, or pitch yourself to a multinational brand and live abroad that way if you'd like. And also, it's a part of you taking charge of your career. So even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur forever, there is this power in deciding, I want to do this. I want to be, in, I want to work for this company in this, you know, country doing this. So I'm actually going to build this like side hustle business that showcases why I'm the person, like, and why I should actually do this for this company hmm. and get paid while I'm building up these skills and, and, and this portfolio. There's so many ways to do it. It's a game changer. Like once you get it to work the first time, then it kind of opens the gate to a whole bunch of other possibilities. So, wow. Okay. Also, I know that the virus has (laughs) complicated things, especially as far as traveling goes, but at some point in the future, (laughs) um, are there any other places that you have your 
your eye on in terms of places you like to visit or maybe even move to since you mentioned like Barcelona maybe not being your forever place. I don't know if you have any other destinations in mind for where you'd like to go. Oddly enough, I've been around a lot of places in Europe, but I haven't been to Portugal. It's like mm. the next country over. It is. I want to go to Portugal. Um, I also really want to go to Rwanda. I've interviewed several women mm. who have were living in Rwanda or who have gone through Rwanda, and I'm just very, very intrigued with what's happening in Rwanda. Like it just sounds like a very beautiful country but also very tech savvy and just like it's going to be the place to be on the continent in the next 20 years so i'm very very interested to go see that for myself for sure and besides that you know i haven't been to well that's not true i've been to Copenhagen, but i want to explore more of scandinavia for sure I mean, COVID has gotten daydreaming. I want to go back to Bali so badly. Oh, my goodness. I want to go to my mom's in Mexico right now. I want to go see her, hang out with her. And and just be, I mean, ideally, I would be able to travel to all the countries that all my guests live in and just like yeah. hang out with them. Yeah. <laughs> and just be like, okay. That would be really nice. Yeah. Country. <laughs> that would actually be really nice since you already... You would already know people there, you know. Hopefully, at some point, you will be able to go all, to all those places. And um, I'm sure all those experiences will be enjoyable and, and, and teach you something as well. So, hopefully, one day, I hope that all comes to fruition for you. All right. So, my last question is, where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you'd like them to do so? Yeah. Um you know, people can definitely get in touch for sure. I'm always open to help anyone that I can. And you can do so via Instagram. Um, follow me at Flourish Foreign, which is for my podcast, Flourish in Foreign. You can also go to the website at www.flourishintheforeign.com. You can check out the episodes there, resources there, and you can also drop me a line there via the contact page. And yeah, oh, well, also the YouTube channel. I just remembered, I'm like, oh yeah, I have this YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta plug that. You go to uh, Blurs in the Forum on YouTube. And the YouTube channel is actually really cool because it's really a focus on kind of like the practical how to's of living abroad and wow. living well abroad. So right now I have some like, frequently asked question series going on, but also I just dropped an episode with um, an amazing, amazing personal finance coach who's also a three-time expat um, yeah. and just an investment guru. And our whole conversation was about how to build wealth abroad and she broke it down as easily most popular video on my channel right mm, now. So I'm like, oh, nice. you got to do more videos on that. <laughs> because it because she she broke it down in such an amazing way. Yeah. And it actually is a lot more simple than you think. And I loved how we talked about it because, you know, especially in the United States, we think of wealth as in like money bags and like swimming in gold <laughs> coins. And it's like not that. And so just a fantastic, fantastic 
uh, video and more videos like that to really get down to the nitty gritty on how to not only get abroad, but really thrive abroad, which yeah. is obviously living, how to live, live abroad in a sustainable way. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, lots of places for people to uh, reach you or gain more insight and information. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for spending your time talking with me. Um, I know you said like the pace of life is different in Spain, but I still feel really bad (laughs) keeping you occupied so late. So I really do appreciate you making that time. This has been really great. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as well. Um, I have. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. And please don't feel bad because I honestly, because of just how the world works, I'm usually up at this time, truly, because, (laughs) you know, I work with a lot of people who are Eastern Standard Time, Uh, even Pacific Standard Time. So don't worry. That's what I chose this time because I knew it was going to be quiet, or at least as quiet as Spain gets on Friday. And so, yeah, this has been super wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It's been fun for me, too. I will let you go. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your Friday. I don't know how much later you're staying up, but, you know, um, I hope you have a great weekend as well. And uh, again, I will be in touch. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) You enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thanks. You too, Christine. Take care. Me too. <laughs> All right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Christine for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are. And you're welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, in two weeks... The guest is going to be a filmmaker who spent some time studying in a very unique city in Japan. So you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Just direct to the street.